are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. I met Vicki through a place called On Task. It was a statewide training organization, and I was the director of it. She was my secretary, and we didn't like each other. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you married her? Oh, so I straightened this woman out. <laughs> I love it. She straightened you out, right? She straightened me out. <laughs> In a heartbeat. When Janice passed, I waited... I waited a year before him talked to anybody. I think we waited two years. Me and got married somewhere in that space of time. And we were always, um, well, after that, we, we trained together. We did a lot of things professionally. She was a friend, and I called her up and told her that my wife had passed. And a year or two later, I said, we're not talking. Nothing for a year, out of respect to Janice. And we did. And then we got married. Lincoln High School. Lincoln High School. Canton. Oh, Canton. Were you born and raised in Canton? Yes. So you've been in the education field for 60 years. Holy moly. And I got a cane in the car to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not out of it yet. You're still working with... I'm still doing my own... Consulting. Yeah. And that's a gift. It's also a gift and a correction from the Lord, which is very current. I'm one of those guys that doesn't know when to not do something. Our roof leaked, kitchen roof started to leak. It's an add-on, and I went up to stop it, and I almost fell through the roof twice. Oh, jeez. And so I knew that it needed to be completely taken off. We're in that process right now. Well, the first thing that came to my mind was, I get to build a kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to set up my wood shop. I want to create a wood shop. I'm building a kitchen. I know exactly what I want to do. Hey, honey, you know, this is going to be nice. You're going to like this kitchen. <laughs> About a week later, the Lord said, and if you build a kitchen, what will you have when you're done? I said, a kitchen. He says, that satisfy you? No, Lord, it don't. He says, let go of it. Do what you're made to do. You're made to create an educational program. Uh, not hate program, not program. Understanding, especially new teachers, can walk into any classroom and manage that classroom and not get burnt out by the end of the year. That's your job. That's who you are. That's your job. Okay, Father. So, no kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know how, I know what I'm going to be doing when I take my last breath. Unless he changes that. I, you should never be that, <laughs> never should be that, you know, firm. That's what brings me joy. That brings me peace. For the first time in my life, I'm not doing three things at once. Every wrong, I don't have to right. Every fight, I don't have to get in. Mm. This is the one, the one last thing I think that I wanna, I wanna be known for. And that's recent. That's two weeks old. Drink, You're still it, learning. It takes me eighty years to catch on. <laughs> you are one dumb sucker. <laughs> What's the <laughs> North Mar CNMA? Christian Missionary Alliance. North Mar. Christian Missionary Alliance, CNMA. 
is in Warren. It's as close to non-denominational as you can get, but still have it. They got so big they had to organize. But I was a free Methodist, born and raised. I think that's mm-hmm. one thing I really want to say tonight somehow, somewhere, is that piece about what legalism does. And I was the best there was at being legal. And like a long story short, God just absolutely kicked me out of that church. It was the people that did it, and it was over tongues. And I had a teacher of the superintendent then, and I had a teacher who received the gift of the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and told me about it. Good. <laughs> Preacher found out about it. Jim, you have Margaret still teaching. Yeah. Well, you can't do that. Well, why not? Well, she speaks in tongues, and we don't believe in that. He said, well, then you can't be superintendent. I said, okay. That's no problem. Three years I was in that church without saying a word, didn't testify, didn't sing, didn't do anything, sat there, waited for God to change his mind. He didn't. Walked into the annual meeting, long, narrow room, and when I walked in the front door, everybody was sitting there, and it got stone quiet. And I sat there for the meeting, got up, walked out the back door, and never went back. Lay on the couch for three days, sick as a dog, and just brokenhearted. Come Sunday, didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go. Janice said, go find us a church. <laughs> Thanks a lot, honey. <laughs> and so I got in the car, pulled to the end of the driveway. Father, which way do I turn this wheel? I had no idea where I was going. So I went to this little charismatic church out of town. I liked it. Janice didn't. So the next place was Northmore. Stopped at Northmore. She liked it. It was, it was preaching the gospel. It was a live church. They were not playing games. They meant what they said. I could live with that. I became a teacher in two weeks, and in the space of a year and a half, we had 80 people in that class. And that was God. When he takes something away, takes a ministry away, and he buries it, he'll raise it up again, but it won't be your ministry be his. I experienced that. Two years later, I recognized what God was doing. How did you end up at the upper room? I went through a 16-year desert. Vicki and I got married. There was no way that she could be comfortable at Northmore, and I wasn't going to ask her to sit under that. So we went to her church, and it was a little Methodist church down here, East Fairfield. Great people, loving people, and without being critical, there's more of a social club than it is a church. Okay, I, that's fine, but it wasn't feeding me. And I stayed there till it got to the point where it wasn't feeding her, Vicki. And she said to me, I think we ought to move. Where do I go? Same thing over again, you know. Well, I'd seen this church before. I'd been here once, a long time ago. Didn't like the way we worshipped here. So I thought, well, you know what? There's something about that church I did like. So let me go in there. So I sat down there the second Sunday. Second Sunday, I said to the Lord, now listen, God. <laughs> I said, listen to the way they worship. He says, and literally, he says, shut up and read the words. And I started reading the words and crying like a baby. It was just that quick. Okay, Father, I get used to the rest of it. That's okay. And it has been 
a major, major change in my spiritual life. Major. What did Vicky think when you brought her? She likes it. She does. And we really like Chris. He really speaks to her, speaks to me. And the worship, she doesn't really like the worship. I don't think she'd mind me saying that. She'd prefer an old hymn. You know, that's where I was. Give me the old hymns. But that's between her and the Lord. You know, as long as she's not uncomfortable and I'm taking care of her okay, that's fine. That's where we'll stay here. And I can't go through a service without crying. It's just almost impossible. I don't care what the week has been like. Sunday morning is the time that God refreshes my heart every morning. Can I just say I just really appreciate the humility in that, coming to a place where you're saying, don't always love how worship is. I would prefer him. But just the humility in God saying to you, if this is where you're supposed to be, you'll say, yes, God, I'll be here. Maybe there aren't some parts that I love about it. But that's really beautiful in an American Christian culture. Church oftentimes becomes, how will this church serve me? Or is the music what I want to listen to? Are the people here people that will feed me? Mm-hmm. That's not the narrative that you often hear. So you go into a church and you're like, I don't love this. Okay, I'll stay anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a walk, though. I mean, it's a personal walk. It's not about the church. It's about him and I. It's about the Lord. It's about him changing me, mm-hmm. being willing to be that cha- be changed. Sitting in that Methodist church for 16 years was not an easy thing to do. But that was God doing whatever he was doing in me, and I can't name that. I don't know what that was. I just know that he led us here. I'm glad. Me too. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Betty. It's Katie. And we are here with the distinguished, educated (laughs) Dr. James. What's your middle name? Lynn. (laughs) Lynn Freeman. A.K.A. Jimmy Freeman. (laughs) Jimbo. Jimbo. Stop it. Are you for real? Do people call you that? No. Oh, okay. My mother did. Oh, well, that's great. Jimbo, Jimbo, Dumbo. (laughs) (laughs) My dad's middle name is Lynn. Is it? I've never met another guy with a... Lynn, the middle name. You're the second. Cool. Jim was born and raised in Canton, Ohio. His mom took him to church the first Sunday after he was born, just days old. And he was a part of the Free Methodist Church all through high school. He lived a quiet life as a teenager, somewhat isolated, insulated from the world. He was very active in the church world. He didn't play sports, he didn't do clubs, he had few friends except for the youth group, but he was very happy and oblivious and growing in the Lord. He graduated from Lincoln High School in 1954. His first introduction to the world was Hamburger Inn, where he worked a year before college. What'd they do to you at Hamburger Inn? (laughs) Hamburger Inn was a 24-hour diner. It was a straight bar, I think 35 stools. Behind the bar was a wooden floor. And we had leather soles and rubber heels. And we would run down that aisle and slide on our soles and stop with our heels. And the idea was fast service before fast service was invented. And we served ham- you know, coffee and hamburgers and stuff like that. Well, being open 24-7, especially on the weekends, 
when people wanted to go out to drink, they would come by about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and get greasy double cheeseburgers. Mm -hmm. They can go drink all they want. 3 o'clock in the morning, they come back, right? But they were two different people. (laughs) I learned a lot. After high school, he attended Greenville College. He came out of a shell. He had several accomplishments, great friends, great times. He had a great Christian education. He ran the student union. He ran cross-country baseball, created an evangelistic team to represent Greenville College. He made up for all of his lost time doing activities in high school during college. He got his degree, he went to Chicago and taught for two years and has a 60-year career in the education field, teaching, coaching, supervising, writing curriculum, working in public schools, alternative schools, after-school programs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) It's quite the resume here. Jim met his wife when he was teaching, Janice, and they were married for 30 years. 30 years, they had a son, Randy, and also raised their niece and two other girls that Jim was connected with through... Just counseling as a counselor. As a counselor at school. He left the Free Methodist Church and joined Northmar Christian Missionary Alliance. After Janice died, he met Vicki and married Vicki. They've been married since 2004. They went to the Methodist Church together for 16 years, and in 2019, the Lord led him here to the upper room, where him and Vicki have been members. Jim has retired from education several times and keeps getting pulled back in, and he most recently been consulting. One of his schools he's consulting with is Valley Christian. Jim has a bachelor's, a master's, an EDD which stands for, we can't remember. Educational doctor. It's a PhD. He said it's piled higher and deeper. (laughs) Piled higher and deeper. He's very educated and very talented. And we're so happy to have you here, Jim. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, Jim, tell us who or what turned your light on. I don't want to sound religious, you know. But really, I I have this saying that I've said to myself for years, and it's Christ alone, and learning to live that out, not just to say it, to have nothing between us, he and I. So I would say, you know, I can't think of anything else, really, that turns my light on. Do you feel like it was through your mom, through your family, that you came to Jesus? Or did you have another experience outside of just being raised in the church? No, it was all church. That's why I put that little ditty that I was one week old when my mom took me to church. There's another piece of that. On my grandmother's wall, there's this embroidered saying, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and you. And I was taught to live that. I was last. What I wanted, what I thought, what I did, what I chose was last. Others was next, and Jesus was first. That sounds really good, but it's very dangerous. Trying not to overstate it, but I didn't know who I was, and I'm not sure I still know who I am, at age 50. When I left the Free Methodist Church, that was one wake-up call. Just the beginning of God saying, you know, this is now where you want to hang your hat. And went to Northmar, 
and it all went over again. You know, elder, Sunday school teacher, the whole, the whole bunch again, right? Ten times over. And then Janice died. Wait a minute, you know, start over again. And then sitting still for 16 years, not really having any other way to grow than with me and the Lord. And during those days, Oswald Chambers was a pretty good mentor. Mm. Um, and he was Christ alone. It was his term. And it became mine. And it is mine now, but it, but that's, it's more bent toward the Holy Spirit. It's more bent toward a uh, sense of the Spirit, a relationship with Him. Since coming to the upper room, and I do give upper room the credit for this, I have learned about the actuality of the Spirit. Jesus and I had a relationship, but the Holy Spirit and I have a relationship. It's a different thing. And that's something that you've been introduced to? It's something that I, that I was prepared for and received here. All of my history brought me to the place where the only place that I could go was to the Holy Spirit. It's the only place left. You know? And Jim, you're, you're 81, right? 80. You're 80. So we're talking years and years, decades of God preparing you. Yeah. And I love that. Here you are at 80 in a new non-denominational church that worships very different than what you were raised in. And you are here eating it up and learning and growing. And God still has you on that journey. That's he amazing. Does. I think that that is connected to pliability, really. And you were saying earlier, just wanting to comment on legalism. And I think that legalism can connect to rigidity. It does. And I just think it's so beautiful, you know, saying that you're here at 80 and you're learning things and that speaks to your pliability that you've learned maybe to move away from legalism. I don't know what your experience is, but I thought maybe you could comment on. I'm the least legal guy you're ever going to meet. And that's not really true, but but legalism, I, I know it when I see it. Appreciate the, the idea that we are looking at LGBTQ and becoming non-judgmental and trusting the spirit in that. Legalism anymore. <laughs> has finally, I think, been broken in my life. Jim, for our listeners who, when they hear you say that term, legalism, can you explain to them what that means? There are rules, there are expectations, there are religious mores <laughs> that you just are expected to follow. And if you don't follow, you have to go to the altar and ask for forgiveness over and over and over again. And as a young person, I did that. And I became pretty good at being legal. But at the price of not knowing who I was. And if I don't know who I was, I don't, you can't figure out who God is. That, that, that's not possible. You can have a relationship, but it is a relationship within boundaries. Whatever the church says you can do, you can do. Does that help? I want to say something about, one more thing about legalism. The Free Methodist Church was a good church. They were good people. But they made a mistake. And the mistake was they worshipped a doctrine instead of worshipping the Master. 
and their doctrine was entire sanctification, sinless perfection. And I did everything you could to live that way and failed. So sanctified, like you were really living separate from the world, and you grew up that way. I grew up that way. And then you went to the Hamburger Inn. And I began to Ham- be- What was it called? Hamburg Inn. Hamburg Inn, and you met the world. And I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> You probably were thinking some of you do need Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I was still a, I was still very steeped in it then, and I wouldn't mince any words with those guys. They were bad. They were big. They were tough, and I was not. Kick Mary around any time of the day or night, you know. But I grew up there. I mean, I learned a lot there. I mean, I get carried away when I start talking about that place. The things we did was unbelievable. You know, they come in at three o'clock in the morning, ten deep, drunk as they could possibly be wanting to fight everything. Well, I've laid a 243 Winchester on top of the pie case wide open and then loaded many times. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cross me. To say, boys, <laughs> boys, which way do you want to take this? <laughs> I, this was back in the olden days, folks. Yeah, then I, yeah this, is not, this is not today. That's what Vicky keeps telling me, Jim, you're, <laughs> you're no good no more. <laughs> So anyways, that's legalism, (laughs) you know, where you're required to do things a certain way. So you said God's been preparing you, but what did that journey look like coming out of legalism and really turning the switch and it becoming a relationship with you and Jesus? 16 years not being fed and having to maintain a relationship on your own was the beginning. I think maybe I've just decided, just discovered what that 16 years was all about. Did you just dig into the Word on your own, or? Yeah, several things. You know, I, I read Oswald Chambers. I read the Word. I tried to function over there at the church. I was just didn't work. <laughs> and then God was just preparing me to let go of. The one thing that, was, that I did have over there, there were 10 or 12 guys that ate breakfast together every Tuesday. We saw, I still do that with them. And they became the church. And they wouldn't talk religion. They wouldn't even talk Bible. They wouldn't talk nothing. They talk about groundhogs and tractors and planting corn. And I learned more about farming from them guys. And I enjoyed it. And I have a relationship with those guys. And they were my church. Uh, so when I came here, what my soul was hungry for was here. And then for the first month, I couldn't walk in the vestibule and not cry. I would start crying at the parking lot. And I... I remember telling Chris, I can't go sit down. I can't come in here. Any, I, I have to be here. The Lord and I have to be here for a minute, please. <laughs> I'll sit down in a minute. <laughs> I can't get in any deeper. It was literally that that real. Because you did you feel, you just felt the presence of the, the Holy presence, Spirit the when, you walked, the, when you got yeah. out of your car. Yeah. Our parking lot yeah. is spirit-filled, people. <laughs> it's beautiful. The parking lot is holy ground. I'll say that now, I'll say it probably forever. I mean, literally, I can drive onto this parking lot and sense the presence of God. That's just where I'm at. I'll be driving down the road and start crying. I'm a big baby. I just It's just His presence is just that, that close, that real. Let me say this quickly, because today was a terrible day. I had a terrible day today. I said to, to Vicky, I don't feel good. Is there something wrong with me? And we're talking about it. And the one guess I had was, 
I knew I was coming here, and God knew I was coming here, and so did the enemy. And I never get a really strong word from God without first having gone through some form of depression. That happens all the time. And, and I don't recognize it right away. I'm fighting all day. And then he speaks. Oh, okay, Father. I guess he's preparing me for that. I don't know what he's doing, but I just, I just know that happens a lot. Well, I think, you know, we're not just physical beings. No. We're spiritual be- beings. Yeah. And there is resistance. War- there's warfare. There's resistance mm-hmm. in... Yeah, there's warfare. In other places. Mm-hmm. And we can feel that. I do. Yeah, I do. Well, we're happy you're here. I'm happy I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming anyways. It's Thank you for asking. Past the resistance sometimes. But I think God does a really good job of building. Bringing it together. Bringing it together and building oomph in us, you know. <laughs> grit. Grit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Putting some grit in us. Mm-hmm. I think he likes that. So tell us, Jim, what lights you up? Tell me all the things you love. I mean, you have 60 years in the education field, so if that didn't light you up, I don't know why you stayed so long. (laughs) Some people don't make it two years. No. (laughs) That's a calling. That's who I'm supposed to be. That's a calling. I don't do that because I love it. I do it because God has given me the gift that I don't want to waste it. I like doing it, but it's not something that I... Maybe it lights me up at times, and I'm giving my life to it. I am. I'm giving my life to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out this way. I'm hard to light up. Oh. <laughs> if you had a day to do something and nobody was paying you, what would you be doing? Flying. Flying in Airplanes. a plane? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You missed that. Okay. We didn't talk about your hobbies in the bio. No. You don't have time for hobbies, all those jobs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, the one, that's the one pastime. I like woodworking and flying. Hmm. Those are the two things that I like to do. What do you fly? I don't fly anything now. I've had several planes and flown them. But when Janice passed, I sold the last plane I had. Never got back into it. Then you turned to wood. I was always doing wood. I've always played with wood. What kind of things do you make? Kitchens, stuff like that. I don't make knickknacks. That's Waste of time. Like stuff. Stuff. Want to come to my house? Project. I want. Yeah, I want. The, <laughs> I want to project. That's why I was going to do kitchen when we need a new roof. You know, I thought, man, this is a great opportunity. So I like woodworking and I like flying. I love flying. When did you know that education was your calling? I was a junior in college, and you said I ran the Panther Pantry, which was the student union. The second semester, and I hadn't declared yet. I didn't know oh, what my I, word. I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> End of your junior year. Yeah. Oh, my I went to the, I went up to the union. Nobody was there. It was after hours. And I walked back in the, back in the back room. And I knelt down. I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> he said, what do you want to do? What can you do is what he said. What can you do? I said, I, don't, I can't do anything. I can bounce a basketball. Silence. How about being a teacher? And that's exactly how I made my decision. I became a teacher, and before I graduated, the sociology professor said, you're not a teacher, you're a social worker. 
If I get you a job in Chicago, would you take it? I needed money, so I took it. I ended up being doing social work, living social work in Chicago for two years and taught. And then my career was pretty much established. Everything I did in school was a combination of teaching and social work. I love that story. Because so many people, I think there's so much pressure today on young people about what are you going to do? What are you going to be when you grow up? And so many of them, they feel like they have to give the world an answer because people are screaming, what are you going to do? What are you majoring in? And they honestly have no idea. And I don't know if you can get through the end of your junior year nowadays without declaring a major. <laughs> I don't think they'll let you, will I they? I know. They, they make you declare it when you're in eighth grade, like yeah, which track are you going on? But I love that, that you listened, listened to the still small voice of God. And, you know, we've talked about, we've had people on here that have said they've heard the audible voice of God and and other times where it's the still small voice of God and you're having a conversation with him. And he says, what do you want to do or what can you do? And I just think that's such a great picture of how God wants to partner with us. And he took you on this incredible journey. (laughs) It's still going 60 years doing social work and education because of a conversation you had with him in the back of the student back union, student union yeah. when uh, you had no clue what you were going to be doing. I mean, all I could do is bounce a basketball. And I wasn't really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> God can use us in all <laughs> kinds of ways. So you have been in social work and in education for 60 years, but right now in this season of your life sort of retired, working for yourself, consulting, married to Vicki. How are you letting your light shine in this season of your life? It's a combination of working with the teachers at Valley. Been with them for eight years. And this is my last year there. So I finished the dissertation, but it was a dissertation that Youngstown State wanted. They wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. And so when I got done, the end product was not what I wanted. And then I found a author, Carolyn Leaf. Oh, Dr. Leaf. We know Dr. Leaf. We love Dr. Leaf. I love Dr. Leaf. Mm -hmm. Dr. Leaf finished my dissertation the way I wanted it. We'll put a plug in. Dr. Leaf has a podcast. Um, She has an Instagram page. She has books that Kate and I are reading that in a group we're in right now. Which one? Think, Learn, Succeed? Cleaning Up Your Mental mental Mess. mess. Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. And there's also a switch on your brain. Yeah, we recommend Dr. Carolyn Leaf. So if you're, hmm, I need something new to read or listen to, check her out. She's brilliant. (laughs) she, She may be hard to read because of the way I'm interpreting what I have into where she is. So maybe you, maybe others won't have as hard a time. She uses, to me, she uses words back and forth and they don't fit and I have to think about it and then they fit. But she has, God has given me this opportunity to meld her stuff into what I've done and it completes the whole thing. It really does. So my light to shine, I believe, is putting this whole thing together and using it at Valley and possibly, I hate to say this out loud, but possibly writing the book. Oh, oh my gosh. Wait, we just what? got that. Another book? We just got that on record. What, what? Liz Osborne. <laughs> 
we're going to connect you with our editor, Liz Osborne, because she's waiting for your book to be written, and she will be your editor Let's if see. you need one. Yeah. Here's another one, Liz. I love it. That's a connection. I we're all about connecting. Yes. Yeah. Please. You might as well. I may, I may have met her sometime. She sits on your side of the church. Does she? Yeah. That's a fine... Over, you lefty over there. <laughs> <laughs> lefty in the back corner. Yeah. I'm a righty in the middle. <laughs> we just talked What's to Lisa What's the title of your book? book? I don't know yet. No, I don't, I don't We'll know. give you a week or two. Decide by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you in What's the What's your book going to be about? It would have... I started out by exploring what portion or what function the spirit had in learning. When the minute I said spirit, why she said, huh? <laughs> we didn't get very far. I had a model even before I went to YSU. I knew what I wanted to say. I, I just needed to research it. I never published it or anything because it was just my intuition. It wasn't anything that you could put anything solid behind. When I read Leaf, it's like she was saying the very same thing I was saying, only I was saying it from a qualitative point of view as opposed to a quantitative point of view and that's the best research going quantitative and qualitative mix you can't beat that that the best methodology there is in my book i was just excited for about two months you know i'm finally calmed down a little bit but the book before that was speaking to the worth of a child you don't want to get me started on that because we'll be here all night so i'll skip that over that That sounds like something else that lights you up then evidently yeah. Give us a nugget about the worth of a child. Children operate on self-image or self-esteem. How I see myself or how I think about myself or how I think others see me. So what, what determines self-image is what I think you think of me. I become what you want me to become. Both have their place, but for a dysfunctional child, a child living in a dysfunctional setting... The information they're getting and the self-image and the self-esteem that they're developing is very toxic. The only way to break through that is to speak to their spirit. Spirit is unchanging. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You can't alter it. You can't kill it. You can deny it. And that's all you can do. I used to say it this way in public trainings. You're valuable because you suck air. How do you show that? How do you, how's that work? Have you ever watched Mani? Either of you? Watchman Nee was a Chinese missionary. Oh, Watchman? Watchman Nee. N E E. Well, he studied the scriptures. One of the things he did on the side was study the scriptures. And he wrote a three volume book, The Spiritual Man. But in that first book, he studied the scriptures. And every time the scriptures said soul, spirit, or body, he looked at the verb in that sentence and determined the function. You can't identify. A spirit, but you know it by its function. Same way with the soul. So, conscience, intuition, worship is spirit. Intellect, will, and emotion is soul. And that's where I stopped. Leaf goes, body. I said, holy cow. <laughs> you know? So, now it's whole. But just to give you the snippet. And this is the key. This is the very basic key for a teacher. Well, first of all, learning is not an academic act first. It's a spiritual act. The first step in learning is spiritual. Actually, the first two steps in learning is spiritual. The way that works is 
Monday morning, brand new class, brand new bunch of kids. Kids walk through the door, and instantly, instantly, every time, the cronies will sit with the cronies, and the nerds will sit with the nerds, and they don't even know each other. Okay, that happens instantly. Why? How? It's all intuition. It's all spirit. The teacher puts on the board, one plus y equals two. She's lost her picking mind because it's a letter and a number and they don't mix. How are you going to do that? If when those children walked through that door, the teacher smiled and they smiled back, if there was some connection made, some valuable, purposeful, loving connection made, they will choose to go through the pain of not knowing and figuring it out. If they say to themselves, I don't care, I don't belong here, that's actually your conscience saying, this ain't right for me. If it's not right for you, you're done, you're gone, okay? If, if you feel comfortable, they say, well, I, don't, I think that teacher's crazy, but I like her, so I'm going to figure this out. So what brings intuition into cognition is emotion. And emotion sits between the spirit and the soul. The way that the intellect, the way you feel, the way you know how or why to feel, what you feel, is your conscience. That's all spiritual. Look at him lighting up over here. <laughs> I think we just found what lights you up, Jimbo. <laughs> Maybe you did. <laughs> Adam Grant, I enjoy him and I follow him on Instagram, but he was saying the same thing. He quoted this a week or so ago, but he said, if you treat people like they're smart, they're eager to learn. If you assume they're dumb, they will disengage. People have the ability to understand if you connect and make motivation. If When you show confidence in their capability, they become more curious. Just the power that an educator has by engaging and the motivation that creates, mm-hmm. I love that. You speak to a child's worth by valuing, purposing, and predicting. If you value them, and you show them their purpose, and you give them your prediction about their future, you have spoke to their worth. And if you speak to their worth, that connection is made. It's all spiritual. So that the first act of teaching is a spiritual act. Then it becomes intellectual. I love that. It reminds me of that story about Albert Einstein. He really suffered a lot when he was a child. He had a lot of issues in education, and he ended up being pulled out of school at some point. I don't know if this is true, but the story goes, the administration had sent his mother a letter explaining why they were kind of pulling Albert out of his class. And Albert wanted to know the reason or to understand why he would be learning at home, I guess, for some time. And she said, well, you're so smart. Mm-hmm. You're such a genius that they couldn't keep up with you or, you mm-hmm. know, however that went. But the letter actually said, you got a big dummy on your hands. Yeah, yeah. That's we can't handle it. We that. can't handle it. Get him out of here. He's a wreck. How his mom... Turned it around. Mm-hmm. And I think, Carolyn, I've always said this, working with at-risk kids, IQ is not, a, is not, I mean, it's not stable. You can increase your own IQ. You really, really can. She did it physiologically. She can show you physiologically why that's true. I just knew it intuitively. 
it's nice to come up against the hard science with the intuition and put them together. What's your title of your book? He'll <laughs> <laughs> know tomorrow morning. I don't know. What's the title of my book? I, I don't know. I feel like you're about, it's about ready to come out of your mouth. Oh, do like you? you're yeah. making yeah. connections and <laughs> you're going to pop up with the title pretty soon. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. Right. I love that. We talk a lot about the power of words and speaking life. You know, there's Proverbs 18:20 says death speak and death and life are in the power of the tongue and choose, you know, we That's choose true. to speak life and That's how true. important it is when we're speaking over our children whether we're parents and we're speaking over our children or their kids in our classrooms or kids that we interact with that they need us to be speaking life into them. And so I think that's a great reminder and if you're out there listening and you know kids in your life even if they're frustrating to you hmm. Don't speak facts over them. Speak life over them. You'll be amazed at what that does to their spirits and their soul and their body. If they're frustrating, think of those three words and react through those three words. Valuing, purposing, predicting. And they will remember. They will remember and they will respond. You're not speaking to their intellect. You're speaking to their spirit. And in time, over time, that will have effect. As a truant officer downtown, I kicked 150 kids out of school a year. I, I couldn't do it longer, I quit. Long story short, I started an alternative school. Those kids that I kicked out, brought back into the, into the school, not knowing anything from anything, started to figure out how to teach these kids. It took three weeks. And the, the two different gangs that were in the same school, sitting side by side, were joking and laughing and playing and doing what no gang member would allow, touching each other. That just, you just don't do that. You just don't touch me, man. They were, I remember one day, the class was dismissed. The principal was sitting in the hallway. I was sitting beside him. Here come about eight kids, and they're pushing and they're shoving he jumped up because he knew it was going to go down, right? I said, sit down. They're not mad. They're playing. First time in their life, they're playing. <laughs> and the, what did that was they were valued and they were loved. And we told them they had a future. They believed it. I know that you've mentioned a couple of supernatural experiences, but do you have a story that you would like to share about a time? <laughs> Since I've been here? It's you oh, guys, sure. It's, it's your guys' fault, you know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's hear it. Sure. The one thing that happened to me that was because I'm here. For a couple of months, I could think of nothing but what I've done wrong over my life. All the mistakes I made, all the shortcomings in the personality. I just knew them. I listed them out. I couldn't get rid of them. They just kept coming back and coming back. And I kept saying, you know, Freeman, you're an idiot. I went to sleep one night, got up in the morning. I didn't get out of bed. First of all, I woke up, but I drifted back to sleep. I don't know how that happened. Okay, it was a dream. And Vicky and I and that niece that I raised were in an old model car. Had a round hood and round fenders. Vicky's driving. Leslie's over here, and I'm in the middle. I got my arms around both of them, and it is the most 
beautiful day you have ever seen in your life. Perfect humidity, beautiful sunshine. You can't describe the feeling of that day. And I was watching the yellow line on this road. I could look over the hood. I could see the yellow line. And we were staying right on the yellow line. Vicky's driving 50 mile an hour down the road. We're going up this hill. We get at the top of the hill, and there's no more road. And Vicky says to me, Jim, what do I do now? I said, sweetheart, relax. It'll be all right. The road will show up. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. The road will show up. Well, the road didn't show up. You know, that's a pilot I know distance, okay, up and down. We were about 3,000 feet off the ground. And falling toward the most beautiful ocean you ever wanted to see, and this beautiful sandy island. And I was kind of figuring out, do, are we going to hit the island or are we going to hit the water? And it didn't matter. <laughs> I am about as peaceful as you can possibly get. I figured out finally we were going to hit the water at a place where we could still see the sand. I'm getting ready for the fall, right? And I woke up. And to me, God gave me that dream or vision, whatever you want to call it. Because what he was saying to me, okay, you've thought about the past enough. It's time for you to forget that. Couldn't change it. I don't condemn you for it. The effect of it you may still see, but that's irrelevant, unimportant. It doesn't matter. I want you to rest in me. And it was so, <laughs> it was so powerful. It took me three days to get over it. But it was a time when God released me from my past and from my failures, which were many. <laughs> and I don't always stay there. Today I wasn't there, but God prepared me today for this evening. So. I just keep thinking about that song we sang on Sunday, like, I am free, I am free, hell lost another one. And look who we're here with, Jim Freeman. <laughs> Well, Jim, you have shared so many good nuggets with us today mm -hmm. about spirit, mind, and body and the value of children and even just demonstrating how God speaks to people audibly in the still small voice in dreams that he knows us so individually that he speaks to you in the language that you know. And like he knows you're a pilot and he knew he knows you and he speaks to you in your language. And I just find that fascinating how God does that for us. So if you're a dreamer, pay attention to those dreams and mm -hmm. ask God, like, what are you trying to speak to me mm -hmm. in this? Because he really wants to reveal and speak to us. And that particular dream for you set you free from mm -hmm. a lot of turmoil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're hanging on to your past and past mistakes and God says... I got something better for you. So mm -hmm. that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's been so great having you on the show. We're, yes. we're glad you came and we are looking forward. We can pre-order books now. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your eye out for Jim's book on the value of children. <laughs> You're trying hard, aren't you? Put a title on that book. <laughs> something. You name it. You name it. I'm not going to name it. But we are looking forward. I can't wait to hear more and read more. So looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. 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 <laughs>